I'm Junior Santos, Director of Soccer at Emerald Force Soccer Club, and you're listening to the Knox Soccer Podcast. Hello, everybody. This is Brian Canever with the Knox Soccer Podcast, and today we are recording at the beautiful First Watch store in Bearden in West Knoxville, bringing you the first in a new segment where we sit down with local legends, coaches, players, and other great soccer minds from the Knoxville area to discuss their history with the beautiful game and how it brought them here to our little slice of East Tennessee. There are a few people I'd rather be sitting here for our first episode of this series with, enjoying some delicious breakfast food in the afternoon, than Adelmo Jr. Santos. Jr., how are you doing today, my friends? Oh, Brian, thanks for having me over here. That's great, and uh, I'm doing really, really well today. Before we get started, Junior, so as I was looking up information about you on Emerald Youth's website, because I know you are the director of soccer coaching at Emerald Force Soccer Club, your name is not Junior. It's actually Adelmo. So where I know the Brazilians, they often have nicknames. Where does Junior come from? It's part of my name. I have the same name of my dad. So uh, usually when I say Adelmo, it's really hard for people to understand that how to spell. So Junior, it's easier. And I grew up being Junior, not as Adelmo. My dad was Adelmo. Is Adelmo what your wife uses when you get in trouble and you hear it and you're like, oh, I'm, I'm in trouble? No, 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 no. Usually not. No, it's just Junior. Okay. When I hear Brian, that <laughs> means I'm in trouble. Nobody ever calls me Brian. Um, okay, so uh, Junior is one of the most recognizable faces in youth soccer in the Knoxville area. And if you don't recognize his face, you will recognize him by his accent because Junior is from Brazil, uh, a former professional soccer player in South America. Junior has called East Tennessee home for 18 years. Before joining Emerald in 2018, he coached for Blunt United and FC Alliance. His son, Leo, has played in the Youth Academy of Nashville SC, the only MLS side in the state. Uh, and Junior is coaching actively as we speak. But before we get into talking about Fuchibol, Junior, tell me, how was the food here today? That was unbelievable. That was really good. I have this smoked salmon benedict, and that was that was really good. That was really good. I really enjoyed the food. So First Watch is one of my favorite places in the world to eat. In February for my birthday, I had the option to do anything I wanted for the day. My wife said, you can do whatever you want. And I was really considering just you know going to the mountains, going on a fishing trip. And then I thought to myself, I should spend part of the day with my children and my wife. So we actually went to first watch the Fountain City store and we had breakfast there. We all dressed in our Everton kits. So we were like a matching soccer family uh, and it was delicious. Uh, usually when I'm here, I get the trifecta and that's what I got today. I love a nice traditional breakfast meal, bacon, eggs, pancakes, and it never, ever, ever disappoints. Uh, so I'm, I'm very glad that my stomach is full now because I think it's prepared me for this conversation that we're about to have. So Junior, I want to actually start by going back in time a little bit. In the four years that I've known you, it's been largely as a soccer coach, but there was a time maybe three years back where I was asked to substitute for an adult rec league team on Monday nights at Emerald. It was a team of veterans, so I had no idea what I was expecting. I had no idea what was going to take place when I showed up. And late in the game, I'm pretty sure we were winning. I had scored a couple of very beautiful goals myself. I remember you taking a ball on the volley and scoring off of a bicycle kick from the top of the 18, and I thought, well, I guess Junior really is Brazilian. For a second, I thought, I was like, oh, I don't really know about this guy. You know, he's getting up in age, his hair's getting gray. Uh, but I felt like I was seeing Ronaldinho uh, come back to life. 
You don't see a lot of 40-year-olds scoring on bicycle kicks on a Monday night. So tell me, tell me about your life growing up in Brazil and, and your history with, with soccer. Yeah, growing up in Brazil, uh, it's very similar for, you know, uh, every country in South America. You, you, your family's from Argentina, so you know how it is. And we play soccer all the time and we play in the streets. We play for hours every day, pretty much. And uh, uh, so we like to be creative. We like to do things different. Even when your body doesn't allow you to do, you still try. And uh, that day was probably, it worked out. But usually, you know, uh, I can break my, my back or break my leg like, like you did it the other day. Yep. But, uh, but it's, it's all part of the, we, we, we like to have some fun when we're playing and uh, try different things and, and, and play this sport like a, why we say the the beautiful game, you know. So in the U.S., most of the skills we learn, we don't learn them playing pickup soccer. Or we learn we don't learn them playing with our friends. We learn them through coaching. Uh, I remember when I played club soccer back in New Jersey. I had some Irish coaches that would come and show us ball skills. I'm pretty sure you didn't learn how to do a bicycle kick or a rabona or a caño from coaches. So how do you learn these things growing up in Brazil? What what was your experience with soccer as a boy? And that's the thing. When we were not playing pickup game, we were still playing with the ball. We were juggling with each other. We were kicking the ball against the wall. And uh, I grew up close to the ocean. So, you know, we would go to the beach all the time. And in the sand, it was easier to practice the bicycle kick. So we we used to go to the to the beach and, you know, and play over there as well, which is very difficult with the softer uh, sand. You learn different different surface that you play. You know, we don't have, now it's different, but when I was growing up, we didn't have the turf. We didn't have even fields that has a, had a grass. We play in the street, we play in parking lots, and we play in the beach, and we, but we, all the time, we had a soccer ball with us. Okay, so I know you grew up in the 80s and 90s, a beautiful era. Like, it seems like most eras are, after 1950, of Brazilian football. Did you have players you looked up to or teams that you followed? Did you have posters on your wall of anybody growing up? Uh, growing up, uh, I think uh, the player that I've seen playing that I really enjoy watching was Romario. Uh, that was my probably my favorite players. A little bit later, we had a Ronaldo uh, and Ronaldinho Gaúcho. That was... Those are the guys that I really look up to and enjoy watching playing. So I know you played for the youth academy of one of your local clubs, which I'm going to mispronounce here, Esporte Club of, of Vitoria. Thank you. And then you actually had a, a professional career for a while. You played a couple of years of professional soccer. So can you tell me about uh, the academy system in Brazil and then transitioning into professional soccer? So, yeah, I played for Vitoria for many years. And uh, over there in Brazil, it's it's very competitive. You know, you play, even when you play pickup, it's very competitive because you have so many players playing that pickup and we might be playing 3v3, 5v5, uh, but you might have like 50 guys playing at the same time. So once you... You lose the game, you know, you're going to wait for a while to get back in the field. So you have to be competitive. So play for Vitoria. It's one of the biggest clubs in Brazil. And, and so it was very competitive to play over there because everybody's fighting for a spot in the team or, or even to be in the club. So you have to, every day that you play, it's very intense, very competitive. Like you say, my son plays in Nashville and I tell him that uh, the intensity of his difference over there, you know, like... There's no one week that we go by that the coach would not have to stop a fight because 
that's how we play. But it's something that it's different over here because even when I'm playing pickup over here, playing in the league, in Brazil, when you play those games, you give everything over there. You fight in the field, but once it's done, it's over. You know, with with friends, we talk, we hang out together. And here seems to be different when people like guys that I played 10 years ago, they still don't like me <laughs> for things that I don't even know what I did. <laughs> but uh, it, it is just the difference in the culture. But soccer in Brazil and here, it's getting to the point that uh, with the MLS academies that it's, it's getting very competitive, you know, and in the higher level, I can see like a huge difference already. Yeah, so I remember my dad growing up uh, would tell me stories of him playing in the youth academy of Newell's Old Boys, which is one of the big teams in Argentina, big team from Rosario, and he has all these beautiful memories of playing there, but he told me also, you know, you kind of know by the age of 15 or 16 if, if there's a chance for you to go professional or not. He didn't go professional. He liked hunting and fishing. He wanted to be out in the countryside. Um, for you, I know that you had those years playing professional soccer. I'm sure that you made incredible memories. Do you have anything that when you when you sit back in your chair at night before you fall asleep and you you get nostalgic over the past, any memories that, that come to mind from, from those days? So after playing for Vitória, I played two years uh, professional for Vitória da Conquista. It was, it was hard. It, it was a small club. Club. We play uh, the fourth division uh, national in Brazil and it was the first division in the state, but was a really small club, didn't have, you know, money to invest in the players and the facility. So to be honest, the, the good memories that I had was when playing games against the other big clubs. It is very hard for me because it was it's a hard time, even though you're playing professional, because when you think about Somebody playing professional, you making money, you you enjoying having a lot of fun, and uh, it it was professional, but it was it was a tough time. But it, it, I made it really good friends and play against big clubs and big players. So that's the good memories that I have about it. So I imagine in 2001 when you come to Miami, Florida. Uh, it's very different than growing up in Bahia, but not nearly as different as once you got to Knoxville and to East Tennessee. So how the heck did you wind up here? Yeah, so in 2001, I moved to Florida, to Miami, and uh, I spent four years over there. And then uh, I met my wife. She grew up in Miami. Uh, she came to from Brazil as well when she was nine. And then when she finished high school, she came to Merville College where she graduated and she worked there. and then she was going to Cuba for with Merville College but she went the day before to to see her mom and her brother and we met and we dated for a while and when we got married I moved to to Merville and that's how that's how it happened okay so you get married you move to Merville and what do you think of this place obviously it's very beautiful it's very different culturally I'm sure you didn't you didn't meet a ton of Brazilians once you got here even though uh, actually, the first time I met you, I'm remembering now, was 10 years ago playing with some Brazilian soccer over at Cool Sports, uh, just some random guys that I met playing, playing pickup. And I don't think we even figured that out until uh, you saw a picture years later on like a Facebook memory and we realized that we'd already known each other. Uh, so what was what was your first impression of Knoxville and Maribel? Like you said, it's a beautiful place and uh, I love that we have the four seasons, that it's a little different than Brazil, that we just have the summer all the time. It is beautiful and when I moved over here and you know, got married and decided to have a family. 
I think it's a beautiful and safe place to have kids. I'm sure the soccer community looked pretty different here than Miami or than Brazil. You and I, in the past, we've talked about the culture of pickup soccer around the world. In Argentina, kids don't really grow up playing in organized leagues on perfect grass or on artificial turf. They play on the potreros. In New Jersey, where I grew up, we played pickup soccer every night of the week in the park, and it was kids, adults from all over the world. How did you first get involved in, in soccer here in East Tennessee? So when I moved to Maryville, I went to some random soccer fields and I started running around the field and the, the director for Blown United, he approached me. And the, at that time, I didn't speak English at all. I don't know how we had that conversation, but he asked me about what I was doing over there. And, the, and then when he saw that I didn't speak English, he asked me where I was from. And when I say Brazil, he's like, oh, do you want to coach here? I was like, I would love to coach, but I don't think the kids would understand me. But but he put me to coach with another guy. His name is John Fleer. And uh, we start coaching together, a U9 team. So we had like a team and a half. And uh, eventually we grew the numbers and was able to split in two teams. And John took the younger team and I took the older team. And uh, and it was it was really a good experience. That's awesome. So um, this guy had some good instinct because he thought, okay, I'm pretty sure that's a Brazilian running around my field right now. Let me go and figure out if he wants to coach. And he didn't even ask you if you'd ever coached before, right? He was just like, you're Brazilian, so you must know something about soccer. No, he never asked that question. He was just like, when I say that I was from Brazil, he's just like, you want to coach? I was like, yeah. And for me, it was a good, you know, to be around kids and try to learn the language. It was, it's a lot easier with kids than adults. <laughs> okay, so you coached at Blunt United. How many years did you spend there? So I coached for Blunt United for five or six years, and uh, I coach boys and girls, And but I coached some boys that, uh, you know, I coached them pretty much the whole time I was there, and that was a really good experience. I still have contact with those boys till today, you know, they already getting married, having kids, and so it's fun to see uh, the change in the kids. All right, and then from Blunt United, you actually went over to FC Alliance and you spent a couple of years there coaching too, right? Yes, I coached over there for another five or six years before I moved to, to Emerald. Emerald uh, has been really good for me. As, you know, like it's a full-time job working with a ministry that, uh, you know, I get a chance to work with kids that uh, it's very special for me. Uh, you go from Blunt United to FC Alliance to Emerald Youth Foundation. So you have over a decade of experience coaching in East Tennessee soccer. And I know Brazil is probably culturally very different, stylistically very different when it comes to soccer. Um, you know, Brazil is the second best team in, in the world at soccer. And if it weren't for Argentina, Brazil might even be the best team in the world. Um, so what were some of the biggest differences or cultural challenges that you faced once you got involved here? It is different, but like I said before, I see a huge difference in the soccer the time that I was coaching or I started coaching. For now, it's it's the level has increased and it's a lot better level with the coaches. It's a huge change that I've seen in those years that I've been involved with coach over here in Knoxville area. Yeah, and growing up in Brazil, it's different, you know, like it being five times world champion, you know, that a nobody else in the world has that. I knew it's he was going to bring that up. I knew he was going to say it. It is a huge <laughs> difference, you know. It's a lot of pressure in Brazil where Argentina just won two times, right? Is that right? Uh, it's going to be three this year, but we won't add it yet. Yeah, we won't so, add it yet until it's official. 
being a five times world champion, it's 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 a privilege that I know nobody else in the world has. <laughs> uh, so there's tons of different approaches to to the game. Last night I was up watching Boca Juniors and Corinthians playing in the Copa Libertadores, and it was a terrible game. Corinthians won in penalty kicks, so it was zero zero. Uh, the first game was zero zero two, but the style of soccer you see in South America is is different, right? It's pass based soccer. Uh, the ball's played on the floor a lot. Then you also have d the direct football of Europe. Um, you have slower paces versus the lightning quick pace of England. Or if you've been watching one Knoxville Sporting Club or a lot of these American teams that are modeled off of um, European styles, it's very physical. It's very athletic. You and I, a few years ago, uh, were at the Tennessee Soccer Association annual general meeting together. And I remember the organizers talking about this transition that they're trying to make in U.S. soccer to a more free play approach, challenging kids to be creative on the ball, uh, which for me at least felt like, okay, we're like returning to the old school way of playing soccer. Do you have an approach that you take as a coach? Do you have a style that you try to present your teams with when you're coaching them? Yeah, I, I like my teams to, to be very possession mind. So we play out of the back. We don't do long balls. We try to keep the ball on the ground. But I like my players to be creative, to have fun, uh, and enjoying the game, you know. And uh, I try to bring a, a really competitive environment that uh, when we're training, when we're playing, to get them the experience where they be competitive, they improve, but they also have to have some fun. How do they respond to that? Because I know uh, from my own experience for three years coaching girls soccer, uh, girls club soccer at Emerald, uh, there were times where I, I imagined, okay, this is going to stick. They're going to love this, and it didn't happen. So how do they respond to your to your approach? Sometimes they, they enjoy. Sometimes, you know, we have to keep in mind that they're still kids. And, and that's the difference over here. Like like other places like Europe, uh, South America, the kids, they grow up. They want to be professional. So when you have a club that you're coaching, all the kids want to be pro. So the, the mentality is different. We're here. You have, like you coach, the high school girls that are half of the team. They want to play in college. The other half, they just wanted to play the game and the social life. So it's hard to find that balance where you push those kids, but you also have that fun. So you have to find that balance where you try to make everybody happy. Do you have kids that come to you and say, coach, I want to be a professional one day. One day I want to play for the U.S. or I want to play for Juventus or Barcelona. Do you, do you have those kids? Like I said, that I see the difference in the soccer, uh, the level and all that, but I also see the mentality of the kids. You know, when I start coaching, the kids just want to play. And some of them, the parents force them to play just to exercise. But now you see the kids saying that they want to play in college. They want to play professional. So... It's it's also the mentality of the kids that makes the, that, that change in the level of soccer in Knoxville and U.S. One of the things that I think is really unique about Emerald Force Soccer Club is that you are balancing a recreational program with a competitive program. So I know from being at the club that you have an academy league where those kids are just playing for fun. It's a really happy go lucky environment um, you're not having those kids that are gonna get, gonna get upset if they mess up but then you also have the competitive teams i know you've coached teams that have competed at the state championship that have competed at the regional level at the sansom fields you host soccer leagues for kids and adults i actually met my wife playing adult soccer at the sansom fields many years ago it's impossible to drive past i-40 or fort sanders heading east without seeing 
those beautiful fields are probably the gathering place for a lot of the best soccer that happens in our community. So that's a long way of asking you this. What's it like balancing all of those things? Recreational soccer, competitive soccer, adult league soccer. I imagine it's not easy. No, it is, like you said, it's not easy, but that's what we try to do. We try to give opportunities for every kid. You know, we have the the recreational program with kids from 4 to 11 years old that we have about 230 kids and then we have the competitive that uh, we try to give the opportunity for the kids to play in the state league or the region league a couple of years ago we created the la liga which is uh, a recreational program for middle school and high school kids so those kids that don't have opportunity to play for their middle school or high school, now they have a place that they can come and they can train once a week. They play once a week. So we try to give opportunities for all levels and, and different backgrounds for the kids. So we know the American model has been criticized before for being pay to play. And that's what it's like. Uh, it's not cheap to be a soccer player in the U.S. when you include the equipment, the, the team fees, the tournament fees, all that stuff. Emerald tries to make things affordable for kids to play. And because of that, when I show up, it looks like a melting pot there. You have the African kids, the Hispanic kids. One of my good friends, Ben Bannister, a faithful listener of this podcast, he coaches a team and he tells me he's got all these Hispanic kids. And one of his big challenges is he doesn't speak Spanish, so he can't communicate with the parents. What's it like for you being out there on those fields and seeing all of these cultures coming together, which... I'm pretty sure it doesn't happen anywhere else in Knoxville when it comes to youth soccer. It is amazing. It is priceless to see all that mix. And uh, even for the kids to learn different cultures and talk to different backgrounds and see the kids from Africa, from Hispanics. And the, sometimes we have a lot of kids that are, they don't even speak English, you know, that are, they come to play for us. And uh, it is a challenge for everybody, but... It, it makes a really good experience for everybody. I have my own favorite memories of coaching soccer. In fact, I had this WhatsApp group chat with a couple of my friends who live overseas. And uh, I remember a couple of years ago after a tournament at Rocky Top Sports World, I actually sent them like three five-minute voice notes each after we won this game. You know, it was 0-0. We played the Greenville Galaxy Soccer Club. And then in the last minute of the game, one of my girls, Anna Lentz, scores a goal. We had no substitutes. The other team had a bunch of substitutes. They had an English coach, which is basically like having, you know, like two or three coaches. And, and my team just had me. And we won that game. It's one of my greatest memories. Do you have any memories uh, from your teams, whether it's been rec league teams or competitive teams? Do you have anything that, that you look back on and you're like, man, like I, this is what makes me cherish being a, a soccer coach? I don't think I have any... Uh memory about like a winning game like that or I coach teams that are we not very competitive and I coach teams that we play in like in the high level being the top three in the state like I said what makes priceless for me to be a coach it's when I see the kids happy and have the opportunity to be in the soccer field okay how do you know uh, when when you've achieved that, when the kids are happy, when when you know they're they're really enjoying enjoying being there. Like I do a lot of times that I have to pick up the kids to bring to practice and games, and uh, I see that they happy and they enjoy. When I say okay, let's go, it's time to go home, and they're like, Coach, can we stay? I want I don't want to go home. I want to stay here. I want to play a little bit more. So that's the time that I see that uh, you know I'm doing a good job. 
Okay. And you told me a story once about a kid who I think you actually bought some cleats for or something like that. Can you tell me that story? Yeah. So sometimes I, you know, when I see that the kids are struggling in school, I, I tell them, if you better your grades, I'll, I'll buy you cleats. And uh, last year I had a one player that, uh, you know, he... He brought me straight A's and uh, I bought a cleats. And uh, the funny about it, because I told him, I said, hey, you can choose any cleats. He just moved from uh, Africa a few years ago. So he had a cleats that is off brand, you know, and uh, like a bright yellow. And uh, so when I told him to pick a cleats and he's like, that's the one I want to coach. I was like, man, I don't even know where I'm going to find that cleats. But, you know, I end up finding in the... He was so happy. He was so excited. He was grabbing the cleats and kissing the cleats. And, uh, you know, he thanked me so much. So listeners of this podcast know that I'm a little bit neurotic. I'm, I'm a little bit unwell in the head, you know, and I had this dream of seeing my kids become professional soccer players, something I didn't become. You know, uh, my wife texted me before we got ready for this interview and she said, you know, your daughter, who's two and a half, uh, decided that she wanted to go to bed in her Barcelona Messi jersey and her Argentina shorts and then she picked out for for your son who's six months old a Messi PSG jersey to go to bed in and I was like that's the most beautiful thing you could have told me right that's my dream I know Leo your son plays I know your daughter plays also uh, you and I were just looking at goals that Leo scored when he was with Nashville earlier in the year what's it mean for you to watch uh, your kids fall in love with the sport too. It is really good to see that my kids love playing soccer but often I tell them that it they don't have to do just because I like and that because I played, you know. I wanted them happy and, and of course, Leo likes, it's all about soccer. In Julia, she, she likes to play every sport, you know. She plays basketball, volleyball, soccer. It is fun to watch them playing sports. And Leo, uh, who's back in town right now, uh, you told me he's actually getting the chance to practice a little bit with some of the players for one Knoxville who are probably going to be professionals. Uh, what's he report back to you when he does he does he enjoy doing that? No, he enjoy. He he tell me about the boys when they you know the, like uh, how they score a goal and how they play and how intense they they practice and uh, now so he enjoying being around those guys and see how they they train and play. You know, it's a it's a really different level. All right, Junior. Well, I only have a couple more questions for you. I know you and I are both getting up there in age. You referenced earlier my foot, which I broke playing soccer at Emerald Fields a couple of months ago. Um, I was trying to do a one-time turn, something that I've done a million times in the past, trying to hit a ball like a South American, like a one-touch turn and run. Rolled my ankle, broke my foot. Uh, <laughs> do you still get out there and play? Yes, yeah, I'm actually going to play tonight at 7 uh, in the adult league and the master league. So, yeah, I, I don't know if you can call play, but I still go over there and try to chase the ball. Are there any bicycle kicks on display when you play? No, no, no. Uh, if you ask my wife, you know, Gigi, I, I used to, when my kids score a nice goal, like a winning goal, I used to do a back flip. And uh, one day I almost fell in my my head first and the, I noticed that it was a time to stop. So I think the bicycle kick is just in the past now as well. The bicycle kick has been retired. Knoxville, it's okay to come back out to the recreational fields and play against Junior Santos. He might still hit a Rabona, uh, but no more bicycle kicks. We've asked this of every single person we've interviewed, Junior, and it's one of the, the last things that I want to talk to you about. Knoxville is changing. Knoxville is growing. I showed up here 10 years ago and I remember looking around the streets for soccer and I couldn't find any. And then I went to the indoor fields at Fuse at Cool Sports and I discovered that there is soccer here. It just looks really different. Now, many years have passed since then and I've watched clubs 
pop up everywhere, right? We have Knoxville Reds, which is run by Derek Long, who I know you've worked with and who coached previously at Emerald. We have FC National from Chris Carroll. We have Knox Crush. We have FC Alliance. We have Blunt United. We have all these clubs everywhere. Do you think Knoxville is a soccer town? It is changing. It is changing and the, uh, it is growing and getting the, the level up, but it is changing. It is, it is going the right direction. And I think with one Knoxville over here, I think it's going to be a make a huge impact for the community. When you look into the future, if you had a magical crystal ball and you could imagine what soccer is going to look like in five or 10 or 15 years, from your experience now with Emerald, training up this next generation of players, boys and girls, what do you think the future of soccer could look like in this city? Like you said, you know, it's hard to see soccer around town, but that's how I vision. I would like to see more soccer fields and more kids playing for fun, not just playing for clubs or organized sports, but also having fun playing the game and playing the free time and, you know, where where coaches, parents, and, you know, nobody's around, just the kids having fun together. You envision a world where nobody has to force the kids to go play, to get some exercise, but they show up on their own, like a field of dreams, kind of like the fields that you have in Lonsdale, right, where little kids show up all the time. Every time I drive through Lonsdale, I see Guatemalan or Mexican or Central American kids there playing, and I kind of want to go out and play with them a little bit, uh, but then I realize they're going to think, like, who's this crazy Argentino who's just showing up? Um, is that kind of what, what you envision? Yes, yes. What I would like to see in Knoxville, kids playing for, for fun and for free that, uh, that we don't have to force the kids to play. Well, Junior, thank you so much for coming on the Knox Soccer Podcast. We're very, very happy to have you. Do you have any final words before we before we end this? No, like uh, I would like to thank you guys for having me over here, and uh, I can't wait to hear the the podcast. Okay, you can learn more about Junior and Emerald Force Soccer Club at their website. You can also just drive by the Sansom Sports Complex on 17th Street and see soccer happening any hour of the day. Uh, a lot of times it's not even sanctioned soccer, and I'm sure uh, it's just kids who are showing up from the university or wherever to play, but that's part of the vision, right? Seeing kids playing soccer. We're very excited to have him on. We're very grateful to First Watch for having us on and giving us the opportunity to do this interview with one of our local legends of the game from the Knox Soccer Podcast. We're out. This interview with Junior Santos was recorded in a local First Watch restaurant. First Watch is your go-to spot for anything breakfast, brunch, and lunch. First Watch serves a variety of menu options, like our fan favorites, avocado toast, chimichanga, and the trifecta, which comes served with a waffle or multi-grain pancake, your choice of protein, and two cage-free eggs cooked any style. Every First Watch is open daily from 7 to 2.30, with several locations across East Tennessee and Western North Carolina. Visit firstwatch.com to find a restaurant near you. Thanks so much to First Watch on Dean Hill for hosting and feeding us, as well as First Watch for sponsoring this series of local soccer legends of our favorite big town little city, Knoxville, Tennessee. Be sure to follow along the Knox Soccer Podcast on Instagram and Twitter. Give us a review on Apple Podcasts, telling us where you're listening from and what you enjoy about the pod. We've got a lot of awesome content over at knoxsoccerpodcast.com from weekly high school games of the week to bi-weekly podcast episodes. So subscribe via email to get it all in your inbox. You won't want to miss next episode. We sat down with three familiar voices to the pod, recollecting and reminiscing over a new gang of scrappy footballers that took K-Town by storm. See you in two weeks.